Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Um, now is the time for the scripture reading. So our scripture reading comes from Mark 10, 35 to 45. The request of James and John. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus said to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever should be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be sitting. Harvard uh, ran a study several years ago that uh, found that people uh, who you're suspicious of, you have no trust in, who you uh, immediately throw off with uh, <clears throat> stereotypical um, claims of authority abuse, lying, deceit, uh, manipulative power. The study found that 90% of the people who you have that feeling towards, that stereotype for, you have never talked to and you've never had any experience with. And 85% of them, if they've ever read, read or spoken anything, written anything, you've never read it. And what they came out with was this thing called the proximity principle. That if you would just begin to talk to the people uh, who you have uh, indignant uh, feelings towards or suspicions towards, if you would just actually read the people that you radically disagree with, that 50% of the time your feelings would change or you would be able to grow a little bit more trust towards the people. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because we're looking at Jesus, and, and we're trying to more and more move towards Him, uh, some of us for belief for the first time, others of us uh, from maybe a cold season of faith into stronger reminding beliefs of Jesus, and all of us just in weekly repentance moving towards Jesus. And we want to see Him. And most of the time, what keeps us from seeing Him is that we've never looked into Him. Or what we've looked into are just stereotypes, that we've never heard Him, we've never, we've never listened to Him. And what's fascinating about this text is those around Him didn't even do it either. And we're so confused. And so here's how I want you to see Jesus this morning from this text. Let's learn three things that will help us move towards Him. One, there's a road that everybody sprints down. Two, there's a path that few choose to walk. But three, there's a hill that only one would climb. 
That's what we'll learn from this text this morning. First, there's a road everybody sprints down. So there's a common road everybody is sprinting down in life, and we see this in verses 35 through 37. When James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who had been with Jesus, they'd been following him, listening to his teaching, they'd been around him in some significant moments, they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever you ask, or whatever we ask, which sounds a lot like my children coming to me. And they're going to uh, Jesus himself and saying, please do whatever we ask. We want to sit at your right hand in your glory. Now, why are they asking this? Well, uh, the chapter before, one of the, the texts right before this, in Mark chapter 9, has the disciples going, specifically James and John, and Peter was the only one uh, who was also welcomed in that event. They go up on what's called the Mount Transfiguration. And they're up on this mountain, and they, and they literally see Jesus uh, go from one degree of glory to another. They hear the, the Father say, this is my son, and then the Holy Spirit came down like what it was like a dove, like a metaphor. And Jesus is, is, is radiating, beaming glory, physical glory as he's coming down the mountain. And so they've, they've just witnessed that. Peter Thiel uh, uh, made a, a half a billion dollars off of Facebook. He was the first major investor. And people said, how did you know to invest that much that early? Because he did it in 2003. He said, I heard Mark Zuckerberg's pitch about what was called the Facebook at that time. And he said, I wanted, I wanted to be a part of that. And that's what the disciples are doing. They saw this happen to Jesus. They saw that glory and they said, we want some of that. And uh, before we get into Jesus' criticism of this, we just need to learn this right away. That what we're learning from the disciples is that the human heart, when it gets a glimpse of glory, uh, we can't appreciate it, uh, we can't celebrate it, we immediately think, how can I have that? How can that be a part of my life? Friedrich Nietzsche uh, called this uh, the, the, the disposition of the human heart, the will to power. He believed that the fundamental thing in the human heart was a desire for achievement, ambition, and the striving to reach the highest possible position in life. And so what we'll do in life is we will use people, we will network with people, we'll put ourselves first, we'll make our career a strategy, anything to taste glory, to get something great, to get something that will benefit me and my immediate loved ones. And if you're, if you're honest, you, you need to just probably get in touch with the idea that most of the things you do in life are built on the idea of, will this give greatness and glory to me and my children? What give, make their life more comfortable? What make their life better? What make my life better? What benefit me in the immediate now and then? And this is what the disciples are doing. And what I want you to understand is that no one, the text is saying, is immune to this. I mean, these are the disciples who followed Jesus around and were with him. And they're the ones sprinting out before us down this road. Um, I, I, top 10 movie moment for me ever was uh, Steven Spielberg's um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. If you've uh, never seen that movie, it's about Harrison Ford and his archaeology, uh, heroic events, trying to go and rescue the last grail of Christ, or the Holy Grail, the last cup of Christ. 
And what happens in the movie is there's this long search to get the cup. And when they finally arrive to this place, there's a knight guarding it. And uh, the knight says, if you drink of this cup, you'll taste everlasting life. But whatever you do, don't take the cup past the seal or everyone will die. So they get the cup and uh, Alison Duty, uh, who plays the, uh, uh, the, the German woman, she gets the cup and she says, we've got it. We've got to leave. Like we've, we've got the cup of glory. And she crosses the seal. And what happens is an earthquake just sort of comes out and begins to destroy everything around them. And so as the earthquake's happening, uh, people are falling around, falling down, and the cup uh, falls in a crevice. And she falls down in the little crevice with it. And she's got one hand hanging up there and one hand reaching for the cup. And and Harrison Ford reaches down and grabs her. And and he says, honey, your hand is slipping. But she goes, I can grab it. I can grab this cup. And he goes, honey, honey, you're, you're, you're falling, you're falling. And she falls to her own death, grabbing for the cup. And so what happens is as Indiana Jones is like reaching for her, he falls in the exact same place where she was. And he's hanging on, and Sean Connery, his father, comes and grabs his hand. And Indiana Jones, in what is surely Spielberg's ode to Tolkien in the ring, does the exact same thing in that moment. And he reaches for that cup and says, I can grab it. I can grab it. And what the movie is making a point is that if you were in that seat, if you were in that moment and that cup was there, you would not go, well, maybe I'll die if I keep doing this. Or maybe we should listen to that night. You would go, I can grab it. And glory is right there. Now, let me apply this to our life in the church here and now. On the one hand, what this text is telling you is do not be surprised when you see people in the church aim for glory. Look, there are podcasts out today, there are TV shows and documentaries talking about this, where people in the church have hurt one another. You've seen pastors, you've seen leaders just go for fame and for glory. And what it can do immediately is produce a cynicism in us that makes us not only walk away from the church, but want to walk away from the faith. And this text is telling you right here, the people around Jesus did the same thing. And Jesus doesn't condone it, He doesn't excuse it, but we should not be surprised by this, that every single time, people will always mistake the possibility of glory for worldly glory. Don't ever be surprised when you continually see leaders, institutions, and people chasing this exact thing. But also, when you see it happen, don't look down on people who do that. Because you're not far, you're not far from that. Do you notice this in verse 41? James and John, they say, Jesus, we want to taste your glory. And the disciples hear this request being made, and they don't say, what are you doing? You're lost. It says they became indignant at this request, which means they're mad that they asked before they could ask. They're just angry that they didn't get to the front of the line first. Look, whenever you look at people who abuse power, who chase worldly glory, 
Look, there is a healthy condemning of it, but there's also a naive self-righteousness that's easy to slide into that says, I would never do that. And what the text says is, if you were in that seat, you would do it. Because there, there is a road, all of us that are sprinting down in life, and there is always somebody in front of you, and there are always people behind you, and it's always a treadmill of exhaustion. But the human heart that Mark is telling us that Nietzsche advocated for, that all of the Bible teachers are caught up in sometimes, is that there is a road that we are all sprinting down for worldly glory. But secondly, Jesus calls us to consider a path that few choose to walk. I mean, the thing about the wide road is that everybody's on it, but there's a different path from Jesus. See, the real problem in this text is not that the disciples want to be great. It's rather the way that they want to be great. Did you notice this? That Jesus, he, he does not push back on greatness. He doesn't say, hey, hey, don't ever aim to be great. He says, if you want to be great, it's not actually this way, it's this way. And what the disciples do is they get caught up in the idea that greatness is something other than what Jesus is talking about. And it's pretty stunning in light of what he's been talking about. Because the path that Jesus is going to call them to, somehow they've still not heard it. And I'm concerned that you've not heard it either. Follow the disciples here. So we're in Mark chapter 10. Literally the immediate passages before this have Jesus do this. In Mark uh, 10, 15, Jesus is teaching them and he says this, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, metaphorically there, he's talking about humility. If you want to follow me, you've got to be humble and self-forgetful and dependent and needy like a child. And then the next passage, he has this interaction with with the rich young ruler who's got all these riches and says, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus gives him this whole parable and teaches them all about it's easier to, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So the disciples hear Jesus say, uh, you have to be humble like a child, the first shall be last. And then they're walking on the road and it says in verse 32 through 34 that Jesus kind of turns back to them and begins to talk about him going into Jerusalem and he's going to be delivered over and they're going to mock him, and they're going to kill him, and the disciples start to get nervous because they think he's serious this time. And it's it's on the heels of that, the very next verse, that Jesus has been talking about humility, the last shall be first, and then dying and giving himself over that the disciples come up and go, yes, but can you make us great? I had a, a professor in high school who uh, uh, always used to look at us when we said things that didn't make sense um, or he couldn't understand us, and he would just say, catfish. And for the longest time, we were like, what? Um, and so finally one day, like, you, you would just say something, you were mumbling, and he would just say, Alex, catfish? And we were like, Dean Shaw, what are you talking about? And so finally he told us the story that he, when he was in high school, uh, he took a girl on a date and they walk up to the theater, and there's this really sweet elderly man um, you know, behind. The, this is 
way back in the early 70s. So you, you know, you'll be pay cash for the movie tickets. And the man is, you know, in the box office, and uh, he's two weeks from grim death and standing there. And he says, can I have two tickets for the theater? And the old gentleman just says, huh? He says, can I have two tickets for the, the 4 p.m. matinee? And the old man says, huh? He says, can I have two, one plus one, two tickets for the theater? And the old man just goes, catfish? And the whole point is, is he was just like, how in the world did you hear catfish out of two tickets for the movie theater? And I just imagine Jesus in this moment where he's been saying, humble like a child, the last shall be first, I'm going to die. And the disciples coming and saying, yes, but can we have honor, glory, and power right now? And him just going, catfish. Like, where in the world are you getting this? Look, Jesus is not ever pressing back on the, de- the desire that you have in this life to be great. But if you get around him and you think what he's talking about and what this is about is about you having a comfortable life, about being protected from any suffering in this life, about having all of the things that all of your neighbors have, about people admiring you, about having nobody having any negative thoughts about you, you're hearing something radically different than he's saying. You're hearing almost the exact opposite of what he's saying. Look, Jesus says, this is what greatness is in verse 42 through 44. He says, you know that those things are considered. The, uh, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. So whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave, first of all. Jesus is saying, stop thinking greatness is what everyone else in the world thinks is great. Martin Luther, in his theology, had this ongoing thread through his sermons and his writings about being a theologian of glory or a theologian of the cross. And and what he meant is that, look, no matter what you believe, no matter if you've never read the Bible, look, you're a theologian. That is, you've got an opinion on life, you've got an opinion on God, and you've got an opinion on what human beings should be like. And he said, in our natural, incl- in our natural inclinations, the way we're naturally built is we are all theologians of glory. That is, we look at things in this world and interpret God in light of things in this world. So that when we look at power, it says God has power, we think, well, what is power like? Well, I look out in the world and I see these institutions, these rulers, these CEOs, these athletes, these celebrities, that's what power is. So God's power must be like that. Or we see um, wisdom. We look out at the world and we see who are wise people, what wisdom looks like, what's attractive, and we think, well, maybe God's wisdom is like that. And, And Luther says, when you try to figure out who God is by first starting and looking out of the culture, that's a theologian of glory. And he says, what Jesus calls you to be is not be a theologian of glory, but a theologian of the cross. 
That is, you understand God, who He is, what He's called us to, and what a human being is supposed to be like by first looking at God on the cross. So that when you look at power, how do you understand what power is? Do you look out at the world and the way that the world accomplishes power, or do you look at the cross? Where the Bible says God's power was most demonstrated in His death. Or, or did you, when you find wisdom, Luther says, do you know how you find true wisdom? The Apostle Paul says, it's in the falliness of the cross. It's in a thing that nobody thought, this is how God is going to redeem and renew things. This is how God is going to shame the foolish things of this world. Yet that is the full wisdom of God, Him on a cross. And what the path that few of us want to walk is, is by learning to become a theologian of the cross. That greatness is not by attaining, it's by giving. It's not by winning, it's by losing. It's not by stepping on people, it's by laying your life down. And, and Jesus is saying, look, it's clear you can see the Romans. They're all after glory. They lord it over you. But what I'm calling you to do is lay down. You, do you know who Chris Granberry is? Of course you don't. But Jesus does. He's a man who was a minister in Birmingham, Alabama, and had a good ministry, and went one time to the Yakima Reservations in rural Washington and saw a town that was ransacked with addiction, with a 18% high school graduation rate, with broken families everywhere, with poverty, and with zero ministry being done. So what he did is he moved his little white Caucasian family to rural Washington to in a town that hated him and wanted nothing to do with him and said, we're just going to love and serve these people. And in 20 years, he's started a church, he started a school, he's had countless missions teams come through, and they've changed the graduation rate from less than 20% to almost 70%. They've seen so many marriages repaired. They've dealt with the addiction problem in this city. And no one will ever know it because it's in the middle of nowhere, Washington. And that is nowhere on the radar of what greatness in our culture is, but that is greatness in the kingdom of God. T.W. Manson, he said this, the kingdom of God, service is not a stepping stone to nobility. It is nobility, the only kind of nobility that is recognized. And that's the path that so few want to walk. That is the path of the kingdom of God. Look, there is a road everyone's sprinting down. And there is a path so few want to walk. So how do you do it? Well, thirdly, you've got to see that there's a hill that only one person would climb. Look, Jesus has this interaction with the disciples where they come and say, wouldn't it be great if you made us great? And here's what he says in verse 38. He says, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I'm going to be baptized? Look, Jesus is saying, look, greatness 
is not the kind of greatness that you think it is. My greatness is going to be me going into Jerusalem, walking up a hill, and dying on a cross. Do you want to sit on the left and the right of that? Because I do not think you know what you're asking for. My greatness will not be anything that you've seen. I'm going to a place where only I'm able to be great. And it's a greatness that you won't even call great when it's happening. He says, but this is what greatness is. In verse 45, if you want to know what to know about Jesus and what to see about him, whether you believe, whether you're skeptical, or whether you've been uh, lukewarm for months, look at this is what Jesus says about himself. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, when Jesus says, for the Son of Man, this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. It's actually the most common self-reference that Jesus has about himself in the Gospels. And, and here, here's a little trick when you're reading the Gospels. Um, whenever they say Jesus is the Son of God, that's actually a, a reference to Jesus' humanity and him being the unique human. But Son of Man was actually a reference to a divine being who would come into this world and would demonstrate the kingdom of God and usher in the world that was to come in a way that no one had ever seen before. And he would have dominion and power and glory. And the prophecy of Daniel 7 says there will be one who will come and will bring in this dominion, that will bring in the kingdom of God, and he will demonstrate God's glory in a way that no one has ever seen. And Jesus is saying, that's me. And they're saying, fantastic. When are you going to start that glory thing? And he says, when I walk up to the cross. That this is the glory of God. This is the majesty of the kingdom of God. Is when he goes to die and lay his life down. The apostle, he's teaching about this. Quotes what we think is a first century hymn that the church often read in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, maybe even commentary on Jesus' reference here. He says, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Here, here, here's what Paul is saying. Here's how Jesus became great. And here's how the glory and the power of God came into this world. It was by him walking up and dying on a cross and giving his life away for you. And there's no moment that anybody ever saw it and said, this is greatness, this is glory, this is majesty. But what it is, is the kingdom of God comes in and it turns the world upside down. It turns all the values of this world where we think glory and power and majesty live and turns it up on its head and says, if you want to understand what these things really are, look at this moment and look at this man dying. And it says, this is the majesty of God. And yet, you know what? This is what you've got to hear right now. This is Jesus' humiliation and his exaltation, and it's for you. Look, before Jesus ever calls you, 
to imitate this, you've got to receive it. And at the heart of the gospel, it look, is not you go and live this way. And then Jesus says, your life is great and I'll receive you. It's while you're sprinting down that road of glory that Jesus comes and gives his life as a ransom for you. The, the word ransom, it means payment. It's as, as if you're sprinting down a road that will inevitably take your own life. And the only way out is for him to come and bail you out. And he says, that's my glory and greatness for you. And what you've got to do is just receive it. Do you remember how that Indiana Jones scene ends? Harrison Ford is hanging there. And he's looking at the cup saying, I can grab it. I can grab it. And Sean Connery, his father, says, you know, Junior, give me your hand. And sort of the joke the whole movie is that uh, Sean Connery, his father, had just called him Junior, 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 Junior. And he was constantly like, I hate that. Stop calling me that. Call me by my name. And he just says, Junior, you're going to fall. And then finally, Sean Connery changes the cadence. And it's the first time, the whole movie, that he calls him by his real name. And he looks down, and he just says, Indiana, let it go. Look, the road that everybody's sprinting down, here, here's how you get off today. You let the Father look at you right now and say your true name, my child, let it go. And you know how you can do, have the freedom to do that? Look at the glory of Jesus on the cross for you. That is glory, and that is majesty, and that is greatness in this world that only he would climb for us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we almost have no idea what this is. But we see you here. Lord, we ask that you would, you would meet us in your word and you would meet us in this meal and you would meet us in this service to show us what true greatness is. And we would begin to give our lives. We would give our money for children for Christmas this year. Lord, we would give our weekends for those in need. We would give our Tuesday nights that no one ever sees and no one will ever acknowledge. But you see it. Lord, help the majesty of the glory of Jesus on the cross for us. Turn our world upside down. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.